All right, so we're going to do a little backstory real quick. That's kind of what Luke does. Uh, Luke's gospel is a historical account uh, of the birth and life of Christ. Um, not for, <coughs> excuse me, he's not just telling a story, he's actually giving historical information. Luke was very thorough on his uh, historical data that he gathered and then compiled for the church. So he says, Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged or betrothed to him with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were complete for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths, or swaddling clothes, as some uh, translations say, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And Luke kind of goes over those points, uh, again, giving historical data, um, but he doesn't go into like a whole lot of detail. It's not, a, uh, it's not a narrative in the sense of, this is what they were thinking, this is what they went through. That's kind of, in one sense, left up to us. Um, and so the, the backstory, who were they? Who were Joseph and Mary? Well, they were just a Jewish couple. Uh, in, the, in the time that Rome governed a good portion of the earth, um, and the Jewish nation was under the, the oppressive rule of Rome at that time, <clears throat> and Rome, for purpose of taxes and so forth, decided to count everybody and have them go to their hometowns. Uh, and so Joseph went to his hometown. What's kind of interesting in this whole story, again, just a little bit of backstory, uh, is Mary and Joseph, they're patrolled, they're engaged. And in that day, they were technically legally married. Uh, they couldn't be separated without a divorce, but they hadn't gone through the actual marriage ceremony yet. And Mary was with child. Luke kind of throws that out there. Yeah, she was with, with child because if you've read chapter 1, you've gotten that part of the backstory where the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to give birth to the Savior. And then Joseph gets to deal with his betrothed being pregnant. He struggles with that, struggles with how to handle that. And then, you know, God tells him what to do encourages him, it's okay, and then briefly lays out the plan for Joseph. And so that's kind of the backstory. So when it says, now it came about in those days, he's taking for granted that you've read chapter one already, that you're already kind of familiar with the backstory on that side. So we touch on who were they, why were they in Bethlehem, they were there for the census, and why was Mary with Joseph? Because she was his legal wife uh, for tax purposes. She had to go with him, and she had to be counted as well. And then we come to the trip, and Luke kind of breezes over that part real quick. Yeah, they were in Nazareth, now they're in Bethlehem, and it's just kind of a done deal. And, but you have to remember, 
for you ladies who have had children, how comfortable is it to travel long distances? It's, it's awesomely comfortable, isn't it? Yeah. Especially when you're at this stage where you're ready to give birth. And I think back to, uh, you know, we've, we have two kids, my wife and I. And, of course, you know, when my wife says, okay, I think it's time, I go into full panic mode and, you know, want to wanna rush out the door. But always noting that the drive is not very comfortable for her. And we have a car. We have a vehicle with air conditioning if it's hot, heater if it's cold, comfortable seats, and Mary didn't get any of those amenities. She had to either walk or ride a very comfortable donkey uh, the length of the trip. And all of that to say that things don't always go the way you plan them. So imagine from Joseph's perspective. He's met a young lady. They're going to get married. They have dreams. And then he gets the curveball of the whole being pregnant thing, gets an extra curveball of, yeah, it's, it's the Messiah that's going to be born. Um, he gets another curveball of, well, yeah, now you've got to travel from your hometown. You've got to take your very pregnant wife up to Bethlehem. And you've got to register there, not for a good reason, but for taxes. Because this oppressive government has decided to tax the life out of you. So things aren't going according to... If I was Joseph, I would not be, how shall I say, super thrilled with the way everything was going thus far. And again, this is just me reading into it and me putting myself in his shoes, as it were. And so they have their trip, and then they get to, they get to Bethlehem. And Luke and other Gospels mentioned that there was no room for them at the inn. Uh, that, you know, and then they had to go into the stable. And we just kind of, again, breeze over some of that. Consider for a moment the incredible busyness of the towns, the upheaval, how stressed everybody was because they all had to be there for a census for the purpose of taxes. So nobody's going to be happy. Nobody's going to be helpful. Again, the streets are going to be super crowded. And the inns back then were not, you know, they were definitely not the Marriott. Uh, they weren't even, you know, Motel 6. Um, they were oftentimes just a, an enclosed area where you would go with your animals, you'd park, and you'd throw your mat out on the ground, and it was kind of a safe place because everybody was there, there were walls around you, and hopefully nobody would pick your pockets while you were sleeping. And if, if you had extra money, you could always contact the host and say, yeah, we would like to buy a meal, please. And so that was kind of the, the inn of the day. Um, but when Joseph and Mary get to Bethlehem, Busy streets, they trying to find where they need to go, and when they get there, they find that the inn, because Bethlehem is pretty small, there was probably only one, maybe two places where you could go par uh, park yourself. Um, they found that it was overcrowded. There was no place for them to throw a mat down. Um, and, you know, contacting the innkeeper, hey, what do we do? There's, there's no place, and they just kind of shrug, like, I don't know, go find a place. There's, there's a stable out back. You can use that if you want. And stables were not, you know, they were not nice barns with fresh hay and so forth. A lot of times they were caves that had kind of a structure thrown into it just so you could keep your animals there for the night. And again, it's, it's a place where 
animals sleep. And who all has been around animals enough to know how wonderful they smell? All right, so that's kind of the backstory. That's the stage that's been set. Uh, and again, walking in their shoes, you think there were any disappointments along the way? Again, if I was Joseph, I would be very frustrated at this point. I'd be going, God, I don't know why. Why? Why me? Why us? You know, why do we have to go through this? I mean, after all, we're carrying the Messiah. Like, we get no consideration here. What the deal? This is not part of my plan. And, you know, to be honest, as I was putting together this sermon, again, chapter 2 contains a lot of good stuff. Uh, I, had, I changed the title of this multiple times um, to where I finally lighted on the title of God Has a Plan. This has been a weird December for my family, and I and for a lot of families that we know, due to sickness, um, just travel. Um, Lynn was supposed to be up here preaching. You know, last-minute things happen. Um, and sometimes it's like, you know, Why? And God always reminds me, you know what? I have a plan. There is a purpose for this. And so it takes a lot of trust as you go through life and as you walk down roads that you didn't plan to walk down or even roads that you did plan to walk down but aren't as smooth as you hoped, uh, you have to keep in mind that God does have a plan. God will get us through as he promised. Uh, in Joshua 1.9, <coughs> excuse me, Joshua 1.9 says, God is speaking to Joshua. Joshua is getting ready to take over command of the entire Israelite nation uh, to lead them to the promised land. Uh, not a small task. And quaking in his boots a little bit, God comes to Joshua and says, Have I not commanded you? I gave you a command. You will do this thing. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So we have that promise to carry with us. Whatever road we have to walk, we have that hope, we have that promise that the Lord is with us wherever we go. And so Joseph and Mary had that promise in a very literal sense, but also in the sense that God was walking with them through that entire process. They were not just wound up and kind of let loose. God didn't just say, okay, this is what you're going to do, and have at it, and ooh, sorry, along the way. God was actually walking with them through the whole process. And as they would call out to God, God, this is, this is not easy. God would be, it's okay. I'm right here. We're going to get through this. I have a plan. Happened to read a devotional uh, for yesterday uh, from Elizabeth Elliot on uh, Hebrews. And one of, the, one of the comments that she made in her, in her devotional uh, was, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. So, when God says he's with us, it doesn't mean that he's going to whisk us out of those circumstances and make everything rosy and wonderful. Instead, it's, no, you're going to walk through that. It's going to hurt. It's going to be tough. 
It's going to be frustrating. You're still going to call out, God, are you there? Why? The whole bit. It's okay. I will walk with you through that entire process. I will get you through it. I have a plan for you. And that requires a lot of trust on our part. Luke kind of breezes over, again, like I said, my, my mind was going a lot of different places as I was reading this chapter. Um, and one of the things that struck me was um, I got to thinking, you know, here we have Mary, who's pregnant with Christ, comes into Bethlehem, they get sent off to a stable, uh, she ends up giving birth, the Savior is born. That night, God was fulfilling a plan. History, for over 400 years of history, was waiting for that moment. And yet, the entire city of Bethlehem that was jam-packed with people at that time, sound asleep, busy, no room for them at the inn. And got to thinking, how often are, are we like that? How often are we like Bethlehem to where we're too busy? We don't have room uh, for Christ right now. Sorry, life's kind of busy. Yeah, God, I know you're there. Life's kind of busy. I'll, I'll, I'll get your word. I'll get to prayer in a little bit. Kind of busy right now. And then oftentimes we're unaware because we're too busy our focus is not on Christ where it's supposed to be. And so we become unaware of God in our lives, God trying to reach out and say, hey, I'm right here. And a lot of times he's not welcome. And think, well, God, God's welcome in my life. But I find that a lot of times I give him leftovers I give him the second best. I give him, you know, there's a stable out back. You know, um, I'm too full. I've got stuff going on. You know, I, I got some room, I guess, somewhere. I'll find some space for you. And that's a lot of times my response. And in reality, it's God, you're not welcome right now because I've got control of my life and I've, you know, I've got things to do, places to go, people to see. And usually that's when God likes to get my attention. Um, trials like to shake you up a little bit. That's why, where God uses trials, to get your attention, to, to shake you a little, to turn your eyes back to him and say, hey, that's right, you do need me after all. And so oftentimes I do find myself like Bethlehem, I sleep through the greatest, greatest moment in history when I should be aware. I should be actively seeking God. And Revelations, the famous scripture, Christ says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. In other words, I will, I think another uh, translation was dine with him or fellowship I will fellowship with him and he with me.
Then we move on in Scripture. So we've gotten the, the backstory. We've kind of explored uh, Joseph and Mary, some of their disappointments. The stage has been set. Um, we see the environment around them, Bethlehem, <coughs> busy, asleep. Uh, and again, Joseph and Mary are in a stable. They're, they're not in the best place. And then we kind of jump from there. Uh, verse 8 says, And in the same region there were shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. Very common thing for that day. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Yeah, they were just out there doing what shepherds do, and suddenly, boom, there's this bright light. And an angel standing there proclaiming good tidings of great joy. He says, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, or swallowing clothes, lying in a manger. And then suddenly, there appeared, <clears throat> excuse me, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men, with whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone from them into heaven, that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in a manger. And when they had seen this, they made known <coughs> excuse me, the statement, uh, which had been told them about this child, and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. And Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as they had been told. All right, so we have a group of shepherds, a bunch of nobodies out in the, out in the field, uh, watching over their sheep. And suddenly, God sends an angel to proclaim this amazing message to them. Note what the angel said. He said, don't be afraid. I love how God always reassures his people. God is not immune to the fact that we go through emotions. And when he senses that we're afraid or that we're upset in some way, he's always there to say, it's okay, don't worry. So the angel says, don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. Pretty amazing. So God appeared, sent these angels to who? Shepherds, nobodies. Why? We could go into a whole sermon on that. But in brief, they were nobodies. God was reaching the lowest of the low, the poorest of the poor. And then when the angel said, this is for everybody, this is not just for the wealthy, this is not just for the kings and the princes and the rich merchants who are in town right now. Note, they were still sound asleep. God told the shepherds first. Could be because they were more open to what God had to say. They weren't distracted with all the stuff. Maybe they were out there singing hymns and quoting scriptures. David was a shepherd. That's what he did when he was out in the field. The angel tells them, there's a savior 
Christ the Lord, he's been born. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Why the church celebrates Christmas. And then he gives them reassurance, and this will be a sign for you. When you go find the baby, you'll see that he's wrapped in swaddling clothes, and he's laying in a manger. No, he's not in a palace. He's not in some wealthy individual's house. There will be no entourage of, you know, fine apparel and purple and, you know, uh, no gold. He's going to be in a stable, in a manger. And then suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and multitude of the heavenly hosts. It's tens of thousands by tens of thousands, as the translation says. It's almost an endless number. If you can look at the stars and count the stars, it kind of gives you an idea. But they weren't just little stars twinkling up in the sky. It was a sudden brilliance of a multitude of heavenly hosts of angels coming out and proclaiming Glory to God in the highest, and on the earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. And this peace that is being referred to is the, excuse me, is the peace that's found in Philippians 4, 7, where it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. They're saying this peace is now available to you. God has come down. He's beginning to fulfill his word. And why? Why did uh, Christ come to earth? What was the whole point? Was it so, you know, we'd have Christmas? No. Was it so he could come down and show us how to live a good life? How to live right with God? How to do the right things? No. His whole purpose was to come here, live a perfect life, most assuredly, while feeling our pains, while feeling our temptations, while feeling all of the stuff that we go through. Consider for a moment the time period in which Christ was born. Was it a great and wonderful time period in history? No. Rome was ruling the world at that time, and they were not nice to those whom they ruled, especially the Jews. The Jews at that time were not, their their nation was not in its glory days. It wasn't the days of Solomon. Note how (laughs) the shepherds ran to see, as they said, this thing. They said, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. What thing were they talking about? Again, the thing that for over 400 years history had been painfully waiting for. For God to come to earth and for God to eventually make a way for salvation. That was the reason he came to earth. That was the reason he was born. And that night, Scripture was fulfilled where in Isaiah, for instance, so not only was history 
waiting for this moment. Not only were people throughout history before this time waiting for this moment, but God had been giving, had been giving people glimpses of what was to come, had been giving them prophecies. Uh, prophets had been coming out and saying, hey, eventually there's going to be a Messiah. He's going to come to the earth. He's going to live with us as a person and die in our place, being fully God, yet fully man. And so these prophecies had been laid out way before this time. And this is also what the angels were saying. These prophecies are being fulfilled. It's happening now. What you've been waiting for is happening now, tonight. For instance, in in Isaiah, Isaiah says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then another scripture in Isaiah, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Which translated means what? God with us. God with us. This is the moment in history that should bring us great excitement. This is why the church celebrates Christmas. This is why, as Christians, we get excited. <coughs> Excuse me. Now think for a moment on just the, again, The time that Christ came to earth, who he came to earth through, and the events surrounding his birth. As we've talked in great length thus far, it wasn't super glorious. The only fanfare he had, only, were angels proclaiming his arrival. That's what the shepherds got to see. Joseph and Mary still had to walk through the whole process. She still had to give birth. It was... God didn't just suddenly appear. There, There had to be this whole process that they had to go through. And again, God was with them throughout the whole time. But think for a moment... And this is where I've kind of been meditating for a while. Think for a moment how the God who made the universe became a humble man, humbled himself to become a person, born in a manger, a stable, a very dirty and stinky place, for the sole purpose of dying for those who were lost. Essentially, for those, as it says in Scripture, for those who hated him. For us, for you, and for me. Before we came to Christ, if you know Jesus, before Christ, our souls abhorred God. And yet, God was willing to come to this earth, humble himself, he... he, dropped his, his garments, so to speak, of 
heavenly royalty and walked out into the muck of this world. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, Paul tells us, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. What attitude is this? We're going to read. Humility. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then in Hebrews uh, chapter 2, verse 9, we see him who for a while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So again, this was the whole purpose. I remember seeing a, uh, a devotional one time, <clears throat> and they touched on why, did, why was Jesus born in a stable? Why was he born amongst the animals, amongst the dirt and the muck in a, such a horrible time in history? After all, he's God. And the, the devotional touched on the fact that in simple terms, he came to get dirty. He came to get his hands dirty. He came to be in our muck, in our mire, to deal with the things that we struggle with for the sole purpose that of saving us. That's why he did what he did. So our takeaways for today. First takeaway that we touched on was God has a plan for our lives even when it doesn't line up with our plans. For those of you who like to plan, who, who like to write lists, who like to do five-year plans, 10-year plans, 53-year plans, um, unfortunately, I struggle with that sort of thing. Uh, I'm always asked, you know, in my job, where do you see yourself in five years? Well, hopefully, further along than I am now. <laughs> but for those who like to write plans and lists and so forth, keep in mind that a lot of times God has a different plan. And so when life does not go the way you planned, when Christmas morning you suddenly find yourself on the way to the hospital, as we actually got a text this morning from uh, our cousin, they had to take their child into the hospital this morning. Uh, what a way to spend Christmas. When life throws things like that at you, always remember, God has a plan. Second part to that is God will get us through no matter what. Even when there's no light at the end of the tunnel, even when it's just like, okay, this does not make sense, 
God, I thought, you know, you were like leading me someplace and this is what's happening. God still has a plan and now it's up to you to trust him. It's up to me to trust him with whatever plan he has for us. And also taking comfort in the fact that he will get us through. He is there with us every moment of the day. Another part of that, don't become distracted by life, by everything that gets thrown at you. Sometimes it feels like you're standing in an ocean, about waist deep, when the surf is up. If you've ever done that and you felt the waves constantly hitting your chest, it becomes a little overwhelming after a while if you just, you're standing there and you're trying to brave the waves. And you, just, you have this feeling as you look out over the expanse and you see wave after wave after wave after wave after wave and they just keep hitting you, that this is not going to end, is it? And sometimes that's how life feels. Don't be so distracted by the waves that you miss the presence of Jesus. We could jump over to the story of when Peter walked on the water. I love that story. Where he walked on the water, you know, Jesus said, come out of the boat, walk on the water. He's like, all right, he jumps out, walks on the water. And as he's walking, he starts noticing that I'm walking on water. And he starts noticing the waves and logically, this is not possible. And just, again, the waves and the storm and everything. And he begins to what? Sink. Why? Because he took his eyes off Jesus. But note, in that story, as he's sinking, what does he do? He immediately turns his eyes back to Jesus and he calls out, Jesus, save me! And also note, kind of an interesting thing. So Jesus had told Peter to get out of the boat. Sorry to go off on another, another sermon here. But note how Jesus told Peter, get out of the boat. So there was a distance for Peter to walk. And as he's starting to walk, it doesn't say how far he got. I assume he didn't get very far, maybe halfway at the most. He began to sink. And when he calls out, you know, Jesus, save me. Jesus didn't go, okay, minute, I'm I'm coming. He was there. It says immediately Jesus pulled him out of the water. Jesus was already there. And so that is how our lives are also. Don't let things, don't let the waves of life distract you from the presence of Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Stay focused on his word. Pray, talk to him throughout the day. Even when you're struggling, even if it's a complaint, I love reading the Psalms because uh, the psalmists talk about, I complain to God. This life is just, ugh, it stinks sometimes. And then we're usually told that, yes, but then God turned my eyes and praise God because circumstances didn't change, but his focus changed. Fourth point, let the humility and love of Christ overpower you. Think about it. Dwell upon it. Surrender your pride and your heart and your life 
to Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, I encourage you to know him, to reach out. It doesn't take much. It does require us to drop our pride, and that's the hard part. And if you know Jesus, it's kind of the same process. You have to sometimes drop your pride and say, Lord, I'm struggling with this. And then listen for what he has to say. Last point. Do like the shepherds did. If Jesus is in your life, proclaim his glad tidings. Share with the world that, you know what? I know the creator of the universe. Yeah, that sounds weird. In this day and age of absolute weirdness, it's strange that that sounds weird. But, yeah, I know the Savior of the world. Are you struggling with things? I know somebody who can give you hope, give you peace, give you purpose. All right, so as we go out today, we go back to, go back to life and whatever plans you have for the day. Make sure that Christ is still the center, the focus. Again, Christmas is fun. It's, it's, it's meant for families and, and enjoyment, a uh, time of relaxation, refreshment. Uh, but for a Christian, it's also supposed to be a time of reflection and remembering why you are who you are in Christ. Christ came to this earth to get dirty so he could save you and then have a relationship with you, walk with you daily, 